0: Hello and welcome to Beat Motel. I promised I wasn't going to sing the intros anymore,
1: didn't I? But never mind. I think it's a charming thing to do.
0: I am, I am here with the amazing Doctor Rage, Doctor Sam, and uh, we Patio are,
1: Rage. I prefer the name Doctor Patio Rage.
0: Doctor Patio Rage. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we are doing a subject today, which I think is going to be a lot of fun, and will lose us a lot of subscribers. And <laughs> <laughs> but it's going to be it's going to be interesting. Now, those of you watching on YouTube can see that. Look, I've gone to all the all the trouble of, of making a little a little uh, name sign. I'm actually in the studio today, and there is another that's covering up another sign that's normally there that's that's visible. But that won't be interesting for people who are only listening. So I will move on from that. Right, I'm going to cough loudly, slightly off mic, and then we're going to do riff of the week. <coughs> <laughs> right then riff of the week sam do you want to introduce yours or shall i just press play press play That's good music for either tracking an animal through a forest in a com- comedy cartoon. Yeah, I can see that. Or, or holding a big magnifying glass and looking for clues whilst walking in a slightly camp way in a film noir. Film.
1: Yeah, it, it has that sort of film noir sort of uh touch to it, I agree. Um, yeah. That is yeah, that Eric Dolphy, this tracker's Hat and Beard. <laughs> right, and it's from the mid '60s. Uh, Eric Dolphy is probably most famous outside jazz circles. It's most famous for his work with John Coltrane. John Coltrane is one of those people who gets lauded as one of the greatest, but also one of the biggest entry peak points for people to get into jazz. And I was, uh, I think, after you told me that you were listening to sort of titles recommend stuff, I started giving it a go, and I was just sort of working away one day, and yeah, this came on. And I was like, oh, that's... It. And the whole album's great. The whole album is... Um, forgive me for uh, wikipedia live. Um, but the whole album is... Uh, out to Lunch is what it's called. Um, maybe he had that. I just really think the, the ba- it's a cool bass riff and it's okay, it's like a walking bass line, but it's along a certain interesting scale rather than um, sort of a particularly sort of, it's quite an avant-garde scale rather than say a particularly bluesy scale, I would say.
0: I really like it, you're completely right. Um, the allusion to Tidal there is the streaming service. Sam and I um, minced off from Spotify quite some time ago. Well I say we minced off, um, I was piggybacking on your account and you, you took the ethical decision to leave, which I'm fully on board with. But one of the things I've noticed about... I'd like Tidal... to
1: clarify, we, we have a family account that we share together. We're not trying to rip anybody off. We pay for the family account.
0: Um, no, no, it's not the way around it goes with Spotify. I'm a publishing musician, so Spotify rips me off, not the other way around. Oh, yeah. I know my place. <laughs> I
1: know, I know. Uh, the Spotify, the Spotify, um, and... Um they do not do good things for music.
0: I need to make a note of the timestamp for because you said a naughty word.
1: Spotify are assholes and they don't do good things for music.
0: The word you said was <laughs> <laughs> Oh now I've got to do it again, haven't I? Anyway, yeah, the, the title algorithm I've been really impressed by. Um it's I'm so particular about keeping the algorithm good that my wife and daughter I pay for an Apple Music account for them to use so they don't stuff up my algorithm probably doesn't even work that way, but no, yeah, I'd just a...
1: I'm thinking of doing that with uh, with with uh, Netflix. Although that, me and Sana I never watch Netflix, so I might as well just change it to a kid's account. <laughs> 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 all right. we, all we ever watch is Lego, Lego ninja stuff in general.
0: I, I, I still can't get my head around all, all the many flavours of, of Lego. I think it's brilliant, but... Um got a massive box of lego here on the desk right sorry none of this is anything to do with music and people are listening to a music broadcast so i'm going to play my riff of the week i've got to look around by my sign here but can you see my i can't go any further away because I've, I've got a stupidly short headphone lead. so i'm gonna go like that just press stop then because it goes on like that for a while but I, I i thought i'd go really literal for riff of the week we we sort of don't always do riffs and i thought no i'll do an actual riff so that was um regular listeners won't be surprised to know that was uh, i've chosen burst So that was burst with momentum off lazarus bird their i don't want to say their last album because i'd like to think they'll make new music but that that album the more i listen to it the more i love it and i, I love the fact they make you really wait for that riff it kind of goes on and on. Then they only go through the riff like once, and you never hear it again. Talk about is... an embarrassment of riff riches.
1: Yeah, I mean that whole album's an embarrassment of riff riches. Um, but <laughs> I, I'll... I mean, yeah, I, I like. You can hear them sort of going, "Okay, we've got the stabby bit." And you always, when you're on a band and you're playing those stabby bits, you always have to, and you sort of want to lean into them you always have to find the perfect point to to sort of break the silence between it. And it's the, the drummer who breaks it first. I like oh. that. It's, rather than the guitarist, and then the guitarist sort of, you know, they have a, their go. And uh, yeah, it's great.
0: Lovely stuff. I, I won't on too long because we, we spoke. Can you hear that? There's somebody nearby using a power drill here. Can you hear that?
1: A little bit, but it's not, it's uh. not interfering really. Uh, No, To be
0: honest, considering some of the music we're going to play in this episode, um, a power drill is is probably one of the least, the the lesser offensive things that that you're going to hear. I just realized I can't edit out the uh, swear word because technical reasons. Okay. Well, anyway, let's move on from that and I'll just try not to say that word anymore. Um, So we're going to do secret album tracks today. Now... I I won I don't I doubt there's anyone listening who's so young they don't know what we're talking about but I kind of consi- I kind of realized it's it's a phenomenon that only existed for a fairly brief amount of time so albums you know records were a thing and you'd get the occasional like closed groove on a record I think um, Abbey Road would count as that it's got her majesty at the end mm. her majesty's a pretty nice girl I can't do more than that or Paul McCartney will come around and Give me a crusty
1: or but a He doesn't bone. own the shop, he does he? He doesn't own the rights, does he? I thought it was bought by Michael Jackson and it really pissed him off.
0: Oh, yeah, because he tried to buy them back, didn't he? And ended yeah. up doing it Ebony and Ivory. I don't know about Is it? Anyway, we've wandered off wildly here. So <laughs> CDs came about, and CDs were chuff and expensive. I, I resisted them until probably 91, 92, kind of too long. But it gave... It gave record labels the opportunity to ask bands to put an extra track on. And when I think back to it now, it must have been because you wouldn't get the extra track on cassette and you wouldn't get the extra track on vinyl. Although some bands were really sort of ethical with it and would put an extra track on a seven-inch inside the sleeve. Well, I think The Clash is the only band I can ever think of that who actually did that.
1: Uh, there's also, uh, was it? I was going to say, you had a Monty Python three-side three vinyl. Really? Yeah, I, I, think, I think this is one of the Monty Python albums. This is—I have not looked this up for this episode. This is uh, this is mostly fresh knowledge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is firing, uh, sy- you know, brain synapses that have not been fired in a while. But um, there was this sort of idea that there was a yeah three-sided Monty Python vinyl that was a one of the sides had two grooves on it. And wow. So you never knew which one you were gonna
0: get. I've never heard that before. I guess it's it's possible, but that's wild. That's cool. I wanna I wanna do vinyl now. I'm, I'm putting out a tape soon, I just want to say. Um also you mentioned so just going back to burst episode briefly, you said about never knowing who's gonna break the 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 loop, as it were. In these are end times, my band, Rocky just Waits until the crowd's pissed off and then gives it another couple of minutes. We did a gig once years ago, and we did we were doing the stab thing for about ten minutes. And afterwards, I said, "Why did you do that?" And she said, There's this one guy at the bar who really fucking hated us. I said, well, "What about everybody else in the room that was enjoying it?" He's like, "Well, they didn't seem to have been... I can't remember what he said to be honest. So, so extra album tracks.
1: Extra if you're
0: album. listening. If you're listening to this, hidden album tracks, rather, not, not extra.
1: So how did you find these album tracks when you were looking for them um, just now to sample them?
0: Now, I'm a little disappointed about how easy they were to find, because <laughs> when, when you... I'll, I'll explain the methods that, that I, I found hidden album tracks at the time. You always knew they were there. For one thing, your friends would tell you, or it'd be mentioned in reviews or whatever. <laughs>
1: Or you would get, and, you would you'd be going through the CD and you'd get to track eleven and it'd be twenty minutes for some reason.
0: Yeah, and some and the thing is, yes, you can fast forward, but you can't. It's not like a record. On a record, you you could see if there was a massive gap, you could see where the song started again. You just move the needle there. What you had to do was fast forward. And I had a jog wheel on my uh, jog wheel. Yeah, that's what they called a jog wheel on my CD player. So it wasn't too bad. I could sort of speed up and slow down. But record players that just had to hold down the fast forward button were a nightmare because you didn't know if it fast forwarded for as long as you were holding down the button or you pressed it once and let go and pressed it again. But either way, your first experience of a secret track on an album would be. (laughs) Well, not even that because it didn't sound like tape, it was digitized. So it was just like. Well,
1: this is interesting. Well, you make me think that the only. You still do get like hidden album stuff, but it all happens at the end of like animated films and
0: marvel films oh it's become a, a real thing i think uh, there's a website i found that you can put in the name of a film and it'll tell you if it's worth sitting through the credits of course i sit through and say thank you for personally to every name i see come up oh, um, I, I Deputy I Left Gaffer well. and... <laughs> um the other there is one track that i'm I, out of my choices today where I put the album in and it was a very hotly anticipated album. I put the album in and it had ninety nine tracks. So yeah. you put the C D in it says and I was like Okay, of course eighty seven or something of those tracks were three seconds of, of silence. But if you're not if you're listening to this and you don't remember those things and you're wondering what the secret tracks are, I want to talk about whether they were good hidden tracks or bad. And actually, I think we're going to play them and then discuss that because I think that will become quite clear.
1: Well, sorry, go on, go
0: on. I found the tracks very disappointingly easy, I've got to say. And the context for them must be really confusing to people who are growing up in the streaming generations because... One of the things I don't like about streaming services and Tidal isn't so bad for this Mm. is that when you look up an album that's more than maybe 10 years old, there'll be like four or five different versions of it. Especially if it's on a major label, there'll be like the silver edition or the gold edition, 25th anniversary edition and the remasters is probably a discussion for another time. Although I think Led Zeppelin, I think Jimmy Page, I think you're probably done. I think you've you've squeezed (laughs) that as hard as you can. You've squeezed that lemon as hard as you can. But because there's so many special editions most of these tracks were the special edition of a thing and you've got you've got the the normal album tracks and then the secret track as the last track on it which if and of course they never declare that they're the secret tracks some of them just they've all got names now i mean looking them up i never knew the names apart from one of them we sort of knew the name because it was a really big band but it must really confuse people who are listening, discovering new music, listening to a whole album, like Blur, for example. Um, and then right at the end, you've got, what we, Blur? It's something like the Wassling song. They never did it as a secret track, but, you know, they've got this absolutely out of context odd track. <laughs> so I think, should we should we play the first
1: one and then get it? Well, I was going to say, it's like, it's interesting because I remember, I think i talked about it before, but, um... <laughs> Did your laptop just fall over?
0: Oh, no, Sam's gone. He's gone. What happened? I'm going to have to feel for a bit here. Or is he coming back? I hope he's... Hello, got no camera. I can hear you, though. Hello, Sam. I bet you can't hear me. I think he's going to have to dump out this and come back. I'm going to send him a message on whatsapp and well i i will pad i will fill as you're listening to this um there will have been at least one new live review on the on the podcast list and it should have come out a couple of days before this episode came out and hey look hello gorgeous
1: <laughs> sorry about that yeah hi uh...
0: what are you on are you using a microsoft surface yes So did you just Uh, knock knock it over?
1: Yeah, well, I'm trying to sort of, I don't like a lot of the angles that these web cameras give people.
0: Right up your snout.
1: Yeah, Um, and so I was trying to make it the the least objectionable uh, angle I could, and I knocked it, and it just was a bit too thin of an angle at the back. Um, But I was going to say... you know, some bands did sort of play around with it quite well. I mean, I, 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 I can't remember. There was an uh, Extreme Noise Terror uh, album that I have and I like called Being an, uh, Being a Nothing. I had a memory of that only starting at... Yeah, there was a moment where... where it was uh, Yeah, Being a Nothing starts 13 seconds in. There's 13 seconds of silence. <laughs> really? really, like... And it really jars you into it. It's incredible. It's a really good start of an album. And then there was Corn with Follow the Leader, uh, which the track listing starts on track 13. Because <laughs> why not? And, uh, but, they, but because of CDs, the way they worked, you had to, to make it register as a track, they had to put in four or five seconds of silence. How does that work for PRS? And, uh, well, in, that's a really good question. And then you have... Um, uh Marlon Manson who is in the uh, it, it, who seems to be going through the the process of being um canceled at the moment uh, for very good reasons and um Antichrist superstar uh which is a and frankly amazing album uh, that's 99 tracks long and uh i think the 99th track is supposed to be um, like the, both the outro and a new intro to the Ooh. whole album
0: oh I love that I, I don't know if I know enough examples to to make it a natural podcast episode but pulp did that with this is hardcore mm. I don't think Floyd have done it actually there's loads of bands who have done it but I love it that that is something that it's kind of amazing that Pink Floyd did it because there were, when they recorded there was no method for just going round and round and round course with mp3s and and cds you can just go round and round and round cd a lot of cd players did used to just go back and, and start the album again at the end yeah. which was kind of annoying <laughs> but <laughs> useful if you were trying to doze off to apex twin or something but really annoying if you if you were reviewing a cd and you didn't want to have to hear that terrible shit again um you've just reminded me of, of something else it was on it was a, a zine called uh real overdose that i used to occasionally write for it was run by a friend of mine called uh, Wolfie was in the stupids and he put out a compilation album and he put the cuts he did it in batches so they're like batches of four songs so you'd get four songs and then the next four songs and the next four songs and the reason he did that he didn't want people to to get this cd that he put out with his with his real overdose with his zine he didn't want people to skip through music he said the whole point of it was to discover music and i, I always thought that that was as equally annoying as it was, really cool.
1: Well, it was also interesting. So when you and I started, I guess when I started writing about music around the turn of the two thousands, two thousand two is probably when I really started doing it, and we we were running punknews.co.uk or .org UK, um not to be confused punknews.org, dot org, punk the American punk. version, um, <laughs> and the pathetic, A one. useless version. Uh, that seems to mostly cover indie bands these days. Um, but um, we would get sent promo stuff, and the way that they would try and stop people leaking their music, leaking music, was they would cut up an entire album of uh, into um, ninety nine tracks.
0: I', didn't, I, didn't, I no, don't remember ever seeing that.
1: I bought um because i I saw it on uh, and I should buy it uh, the real version, but I love it to bits, um the um cephalic carnage album, which is uh, called um, yeah, I bought uh, on wiki on eBay, frankly, I bought the promo a promo copy of the uh, cephalic. Uh, carnage album uh, come on. uh where is it where is it uh anomalies and that was cut up and at carnage if you know them they're a band that, like they're, they're like math grind cool and they do grind? they shake. yeah they they play a record reckon, you know they play a riff like five seconds and then change it up and then play you know and they do that for Endlessly over the point, and they're incredibly technical death metal grindcore um, musicians. Um, and I got this cut into 99 tracks, and I put it on um, put it on random, <laughs> <laughs> and I got a whole new album every time you put it wow. on. You got a whole new album. <laughs> and I said true. this. I said this to the first time I saw them. Um, I said this to the guy who was behind the merch table at their gig in uh, the the uh, the garage in Highbury, and um, then I saw him on the stage, and I felt like a dick. <laughs> Brilliant! Like <laughs> so, I sort of said, "You can't tell which one's better—the random version or the." <laughs>
0: oh, that I love that. He, um, I love it when you, you can kind of wreck wreck something so accidentally and so simply. I um, when MP3s were were in their pomp and they were the thing, it, I had a, a computer set up at home that just played mp3s it through a Winamp, uh, it really whips the llama's ass and it worked fine until i did a, a theater tour and as a part of this i was given four cds worth of bbc special effects do you imagine four cds worth it was i mean probably thousands of special effects completely ruined listening to stuff on random because i'd listen to, <laughs> listen to you know, wow i really like that song and then you'd get like yeah, because obviously you could see the names pop up. It'd be like bus stop, Hackney, two a.m., windy day—like the full explanation of what it was. Or like sometimes you'd be listening to something sort of fairly relaxed and and chill, and then you get like a lion's roar. <laughs> like then the next song—it's just it, I had to weed them out in the end and just just get rid of them because it completely wrecked kind of listening to stuff on random, which which is always a good way of rediscovering old stuff. Um, there, there's there's another example very very recently this sort of fucking around with the format thing i'm really interested by and i had a Marin scale so one of my one of my uh, electronic things on a compilation album and it was put out on a tape as is the style at the moment so naturally on a tape you just press play and you listen to the whole one side of the tape and that's it really although old tape players some of them had this this fast-forward-until-a-break button, I can't remember what it was called, but you could you could find tracks. So, as with any of these tapes, because no one's actually got a tape player, or very few people, when you buy it, you get a little download code so you can download the MP3s, or FLAC, or WAV, or and anything like that. And that version, he's the guy who put it out, it's Courier Records, um, he, he's kept it as two massive files which I think is, is just kind of neat. There's, just, there's something very sort of punk label attitude about that. Um, yeah. This guy, actually, I've got him booked. Well, I've booked him a couple of times. It's not it's not come through. It's a guy called Stuart Bowditch who we're going to do an episode with, uh, just me and him. Very interesting guy. Um, but I'm, I'll keep my powder dry for that one. Right, <laughs> so we've done some nice talking now for 24 minutes. So let's... Play a um, fucking song. Let's play a... Well, th- the the thirty seconds of a song that we can play without getting whipped by copyright. Um, incidentally, the last the last video on YouTube we did get a copyright warning, but it said the owner of this music has claims it's copyright, but basically doesn't mind you using it. Like, okay, lovely. Uh, some of these, if I was in the bands, I might mind someone using it just because it means that humanity gets an opportunity to hear again. Right, let's start. Oh, God. We're going to start with, with Primus. This is called The Heckler. <laughs> Weirdly, when you when Sam, Dr. Sam sent through the, the list, you put album version. And I was like, "What? how would there be any other version?
1: Oh, it would be interesting to see which one you chose. Oh, I apologize, everyone. How can you not love that guitar thing? Yeah. How, when my can daughter... not... How can you
0: not love that guitar thing? When my daughter was about... I don't know 14 15 months old when they're just starting to learn how to talk but aren't really talking fully at all i was laying in bed and she walked into the bedroom and i farted really really loudly and just lifted the edge of the um the duvet and i can remember when the gas hit her face it dropped and she looked me in the eyes and just went no and walked out the room (laughs) and uh, that's the the, kind this kind of reaction I, i i feel about primus most how of the can time. I can't talk. tell any difference between that and any other Primus track.
1: How? I mean, that's because you haven't listened to them intensely. The <laughs> thing is, um, I know
0: I will like Primus
1: eventually. How can you not? I mean, that guitar riff and sound and tone, it's just, oh man, the, the guy's amazing. Larry so Long.
0: Why is that a secret track?
1: Well, there's two versions of it. There is the Heckler, which is on Uh, Suck on This, the first Primus album, which is a live album. Um, And then there is the Heckler, which is the last track. It was hidden on the last track uh, before they went on hiatus uh, on the album um, Antipop. And so it was was hidden off the back of... um, because I think people have been sort of probably badgering them to record it live for years because they never recorded it in the studio. I mean, badgering them to record it in studio for years because they never did. And then they decided at the end of this album, Antipop, uh, to record it. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I love that. I mean, it's not about the bass it's what the guitars are doing. And this is what people seem to sort of think that Primus is this sort of, oh, uh, it's this slap-funk thing. They don't do funk whatsoever. It's slap-prog. <laughs> slap-prog. And it's not really, in many ways, it's not really about what Les Claypool is doing. It's about what the drummer and the guitarist are doing around him. And We're it's...
0: Trying and, to get a word in edgeways. Well, they do incredibly well. They do both. Uh, well. so, that's, that's so that that's as as an extra version you know as a hidden track or a secret track that's quite an interesting one well quite quite a safe bet i'd say because if it's a track that people wanted it's it's something that that they clearly dragged their heels a bit with but but got it done and that that's all good but that if you were the sort of person who likes primus <laughs> Was probably quite pleasing to find, probably quite rewarding. You know, added an extra dimension to to how you thought about the music of Primus and enriched your experience. Um, whereas the next track,
1: <laughs> good <laughs> intro, good segue. N-
0: not not so much. I'm going to play it and then I'm going to ask you to guess the band. I mean, I probably could have guessed that was Primus because it's a Primus song. Basically, it's just a Primus song appearing in a strange in a slightly strange way. Now, I'm partly stopping that because... Did you you have something to say? No. no. Also, because this track's just a pleasure to stop. I will let it run for 30 seconds this time. and try and have a guess at the band.
1: No, and what I'm going to say is that they're clearly very talented musicians. Really? Yeah. That,
0: that's, what, that's
1: It's orchestrated. It is considered. They have considered, to some extent, they have considered what they're doing and they're taking the piss. They,
0: they, they have. Yeah, and it does go somewhere and it's got... You're completely right. I'd never really taken, taken that from it because it's so different. It's so different to the rest of the album. That's the Stone Roses. And that's track 99 of their highly anticipated album Second Coming.
1: And at I the think time, that's the best thing they've ever done. I, I, I might prefer <laughs> that to anything else, any of the other shit they put out. Do you
0: know what? The strangest way, looking back at the album now, I, I like some of the stuff on the album, but I never listened to it, which is is the measure of, well, do I actually like it? And... At the time, that scratchy honky tonk, whatever the hell that is,
1: there's was, something cinematic like it, about it. There's something it like, like you you can you can imagine it being played in a like a, a film about a moment when the character has a little bit too much <laughs> and the night and the night starts to get really shit.
0: <laughs> That's so great! That is, what an absolute what a fantastic description. Anyway, it's called Foz. Fuck knows why, but they they just signed to Geffen for fifty four million dollars allegedly. You never find out for definite. Allegedly fifty four million dollars, and bear in mind the studios they were using. I'm uh, Monmouth. Uh, the really the big famous ones that that one on a farm. I can never remember. That. Rock mount is it Rockfield? Anyway, to get a sound like that, and to get the instruments to sound like that, they must have actually made an effort to. Like downgrade, we ha- we have a thing in electronica. You um, it's called a bit crusher. So most music runs at twenty four bit or whatever, and if you reduce the bit rate, it it makes it sound lo fi, makes it sound worse. And <laughs> it's almost, I mean, this is early nineties, but mid nineties. But yeah, that they must have actually had to make quite an effort to sound that scratchy. The violin in it reminds me of an Eddie Izzard sketch about parents listening to their kids
1: learning to play violin. <laughs> e- 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 fucking oh. hell. Who's that that? they said? I can't remember. Every time you watch a documentary about great British comedians, there's this one guy who plays the piano and he plays it wonderfully badly.
0: Les Dawson. And then the next thing everyone always says is to play it that badly, you've got to be very talented. Like, no, I can play a piano
1: badly. No, I don't think think you have to be. But I think to get a consistent noise out of something, um, you have to be fairly adept with it.
0: Yeah, I've just oh. sorry. I've just remember just remembered a complete aside. This this uh, anyone watching on YouTube, the the name banner is is um, a sticker. I've had some beat motel stickers made. If anybody wants some beat motel stickers, they they're very very cool. Um, just email in your address, and I will put them in the post to you. Our gift to you: free beat motel stickers. And if you should put them up in places people see them, well that's your decision. Sorry Sam I, I just felt, felt I, I ought to point that out so yeah I'll, I'll put a note in the show notes for that as well. So shall we move on to the next track? Oh
1: sure 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 sure, sure. I was alone
0: I was all by myself Noah was looking
1: you. Oh yeah, did I mention
0: I was all by myself All by myself That's just kind of charming, I, I remember at the time It's a finding song about Masterpiece. It is, although I've just found it might actually be a cover But I doubt it you fill for a minute. I'm going to look it up.
1: So that was uh, Trey Cool of Green Day.
0: with ah, damn it. That's what I was going to look up. I was going to look up who was singing it. Sorry. Go on. It
1: was Trey Cool of Green Day with I Was All By Myself, uh, as you may have gathered the song title. And it is the hidden track. Uh, it was, because all these things are there now. Um, it was the hidden track off the arse end of uh, Dookie, which has just received its thirtieth or thirtieth year anniversary uh remaster. Um and uh let's see if I just wanna see now do It
0: was a minute um, after the last track so you didn't have to wait wait quite long. Well, apparently Trey No cool you did not have to playing. wait long.
1: It was Trey Cool and uh All by Myself is now an official is the fifteenth official track nowadays. I'm sort of sad that they don't let these things run because surely, you know, the curiosity of the silence creates more stuff. Uh, anyway, anyway. Um, and yeah, I it was I, I chose that because that was the first hidden track I became aware of as a, I would have been uh, an 11 year old, maybe wow. a 10 year old. And my brother bought home Dookie and... Uh, ruined my life. <laughs> and, Punk rock ruined my life. And um, yeah, I, I don't think it's a particularly good song. Um, I don't think it's uh, particularly worthwhile anything. I just, it was just the first one I ever uh, can recall hearing. And I remember, but I remember deliberately keeping the CD playing so I would. Uh, listen to the song, and then I probably start the CD again. I I I ran through Dookie so much. Uh, I, 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 I ran I wanna through do that. so much Dookie. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> that that and Insomniac, the next album, I just loved every single track, start to finish. Yeah. I still think I want to listen to them again. I still think they're incredibly strong records.
1: Yeah, I, I like it, in a way I like Insomniac more. I think it's a bit more. I think that was just oh, that maybe just the thing of having played. Dookie to death so much and having I, I, stuff like you know uh, Basket Case be so so big. Um, that it it Insomniac was, just, it, it was
0: took. everywhere, wasn't it? It's just when MTV uh, in in the UK, you know, MTV was starting to become something that actually existed, and it was Basket Case was uh, Basket Case was just a track that was just always on it. Um, yeah. Just looked, looked up some some facts. That's actually Trey Call he wrote it, and that's him playing guitar on it. And apparently, in uh, in 2019, Rolling Stone got Billy Joe Armstrong and Billie Eilish in the same room together for a conversation, as is as is the style of the times. And excuse me, um, Billie Eilish was asked what her favorite Green Day song is, and she said, "All by myself." And <laughs> Armstrong looked a little churlish, I imagine, and just said, "That's a dirty song." <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no,
0: that's a dirty little song but it says here on, on the site I'm looking at Eilish didn't discover the song by letting the CD play through to the hidden track because she never owned a CD she's only like what 20 something now isn't she
1: oh, children don't understand they just understand what, uh, you know they just don't understand I think I think. Uh, I think it's, yeah, they don't understand
0: well that, that's that's a nice song that's a pleasant one so far you're picking well I can't say Primus is nice but it's I appreciate that other people might believe that's um, music that is entertaining so I'm gonna choose one that is by one of the biggest bands ever and I chose it because I still don't think most people who know the band will know the song and it's this How many people think it's switched off now?
1: <laughs> it's Do you not, know, that is? It's more along the lines of yeah, it's Nirvana, isn't it? Yeah, it's Nirvana with a endless nameless. Name.
0: But it's interestingly on the, same, it. on the same label as the
1: Stone Roses. In fact, and also, I think it was sort of considered one of the first hidden tracks, CD hidden that, tracks.
0: That's just it's it's obviously it's wild. I mean, they didn't get any of the vocals, but famously. Kirk actually ended up nearly vomiting blood through his vocal performance on that, and that was his voice kind of done for a few days. But there's some really interesting things sonically about that. I mean, listen to that now, and it's yeah, Sonic Youth have been doing that and putting it on singles for a while. It, it certainly wasn't a new thing. It was it was a new thing to me at the time. I can remember first hearing that and, and having not heard any sort of extreme music because I like twee stuff like, uh well, like Stone Roses. Um, being quite shocked by it, but I now know that in context it wasn't anything that unusual. Apart from the fact the recording is fucked. If you listen to the the bass part, the bass is absolutely blowing out a speaker, and it, they've not put the bass straight into a desk. This is pre digital recording. They've put the bass into a broken bass amp, a bass amp that has been blown. Um, I'm not. I might play a little bit of it again just to see if you can you can hear what I mean. They have a... that, d- that doesn't sound like a fuzz to me. It doesn't sound like a big muff or um, or any sort of fuzz that you use on a base. That that just sounds like a destroyed amp, which <laughs> I think is actually quite interesting. But, well, that might not have been as shocking as I thought it was then. So maybe there are people at home grooving along to that.
1: But the thing is, I mean, you have to put them in context that, uh, yeah, Sonic Youth... Had I mean I don't know when Sonic Youth uh, did join a major label, but you know it was Geffen, thing, actually I think. Yeah, but the thing you have to sort of uh, remind yourself is that Nirvana p- sort of were the poster boys of this stuff, and one of the things I like about Nirvana is they you know as they sort of got as they got, you know, after they sort of went in to record the the purest pop version of uh, their thing you could get, which was Nevermind, and they did an incredibly, incredible job. And then they sort of went, actually, let's go back to the atonalism stuff. And so I, I think there is something there that is very interesting. A band who has just created... Like one of the greatest pop rock records um, ever, who then stick this incredibly abusive piece of music on, um, yeah. you know, after the fact. And they sort of go, you know, oh, we've done all this and we, we, we sort of recorded these sensitive vocals. You know, there's a story about um, recording the last track on the last official track on the album and you sort of already left the studio and Kurt Cobain lied. You know, was lying down playing guitar and singing to yeah, get poly. that really sort of like uh, vocal, and um, and then you know all of a sudden they just sort of stick that on, and you had to wait something like eighteen minutes for it to start. Yeah, it wasn't Polly. It was
0: uh, something in the way, I think. Um, but it's it's yeah, it's way. wild, and it's I'm always interested when a band does their their first proper album. I mean, they they did Bleach before but when they do their first proper album and this was a time where bands would record demo versions of albums before recording the album and so mm. by the time you get to a studio they're quite sanitized in a way and now they recorded it in in a studio that wasn't really very popular at the time and it was kind of a little bit old-fashioned even then um had brilliant gear like a huge neve console anyway but they they sort of that that to to record very very analog, I you know, in a very old fashioned way, I think was a really interesting choice. And what that inspired was a change in the direction of sound because the hair metal that came before it. You know, people think of hair metal and and Nirvana and grunge as as there being a gulf of time between them. There wasn't. It was happening at the same time. And allegedly, grunge killed off hair metal, which it. it I don't think they. I don't think it did, but it certainly made it less popular because metal had been taking a trajectory that took it further and further away from being something that was relatable. And the sound was becoming very, very compressed and very clean. So you've got late late 80s metal albums that just sound thin as shit. Mm. So Nirvana were a part of changing what was considered an acceptable sound. I mean, allegedly, when Rage Against the Machine heard... Who I think were also on Geff, no, they're on Sony. Uh, when they heard Nevermind, they booked themselves into the same studio. I really wish I could remember what it was called. Um, can you look it up while I'm rattling on? <laughs> it's really troubling me, like I can't remember. But yeah, Rage Against the Machine famously booked in, and one of the things about that I've always found fascinating about Rage Against the Machine recording there is that their first album they recorded live. In a room all together, thrashing it out pretty much one take for the whole for each track, there must have been some overdubs but that that's a remarkable feat, even these days
1: sound,
0: sound city studios of course it is sound city studios, and loads and loads and loads of bands are recorded there now but yeah it that that tilted it in that direction but the, to go back to i'm actually going to make the point I started on now, I mean just to break with uh, tradition here the point I was going to make is that the whole process of polishing and polishing and polishing and then getting into a studio its that, that last track, the endless nameless really sounds to me almost like they're just cutting loose and they're just right. We're going to enjoy ourselves. Now we've worked really hard on this album. It's the equivalent of doing a double art on a Friday afternoon when you're at school, like, no, we're just going to (laughs) DOS now. But also the way the album cycles work, I can't, I can't remember how much time there was between nevermind and in utero in my mind, they, in utero came quite soon after and in utero was such a dramatic change of sound because obviously working with Steve Albini is going to have an impact mostly on the drum sound but they did go very atonal with a lot of it on that track as well so that's almost, the secret track is almost a signpost to what's coming next
1: Yeah I mean I th- that's an interesting thing, that's an interesting idea is is there's sometimes there feels with bands that you have this outlier track on some of the albums and I'm thinking, in a weird way I'm thinking of the English pop late 90s pop band Space Um oh, God, bloody hell, I've forgotten all about them and you have a sort of a weird outlier and like the rest of the album fits this niche and then they so you have this individual track and you I always think when you hear that track and it doesn't fit in with everything else, You I always think that's where they're going next and I, I think you're right, you know Endless Nameless no, is like is like a is um it is. I think you're right. Endless nameless is um sort of going. Uh, this is a little bit of what's next.
0: <laughs> uh, well, like 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 when you finish a book and they give you the the um you know a book that's in a trilogy or whatever, and they give you the chap the first chapter of the next book. Yeah. That really fuck that really fucks me up when I'm reading because I I read everything on Kindle, so you don't know I I switch off the bit that tells you what page you're on, but I sometimes look at the percentage. And it will say, Oh, you're you're seventy-five percent away through the book. And I'm like, brilliant. I'm gonna spend I'm really looking forward to the next few nights of just enjoying this book. And then you know, yeah. about an hour worth of reading, the book concludes and you're like, Oh shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's the same has happened to me. Um yeah, I've got, yeah. Anyway,
0: anyway. Let's play the next one. I I <laughs> I really enjoyed putting this together. I always enjoyed doing the preparation for the show. um, And I was thinking I might teach you how to do some of it because one of the things I like about, about the way we're doing this format is that you don't know what I've chosen, but I know what you've chosen. And I'd quite like sometimes for it to be the other way around and for me to Mm. be surprised. I was thinking, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll teach you how to do it. It's, It's pretty, it's pretty easy. Um, so the next track, I know what it is, and I oh, I thought I knew. When it started to reveal itself, I thought it was going to be something that I could have a whole massive conversation around. And I realized like, it, it isn't, but I'm still going to. God, what a rubbish. I'm just going to play it. Come on. ah, oh, won't
1: play. That's ironic for what it is.
0: It is. I tell you what, I'm I'm gonna um <laughs> <laughs> right. Give us a second. I'm I'm gonna do an, ah. an on-the-spot repair. Right, so there is I'll tell you what, what my theory was. There is something in this track that I thought would be in this track that isn't, and it's a band who, in the nineties, probably into the two thousands, everybody ripped off their kick drum sound. Like it, it was just, it was absolutely everywhere. And I thought this might be where it was ripped off from. Where the hell have I put all the old secret tracks? Here we go. Uh, right, it's just uploading. Let's see if I can play it. Oh God, I love that so much. That's just that is it's called um, it's by do you want to say
1: pitch shifter
0: by pitch shifter and it's called free samples and it is what it says. What 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 year was that?
1: 98. 98.
0: So, so that yeah. was
1: the opening point of home, like opening point of like when that top started to get everywhere. Or a lot of places, anyway. And it was and when, when sam- and
0: samplers went from being something that were insanely expensive. Late nineties, you could get rudimentary samplers on a on a Mac or on a PC. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, um, and
1: there was also the sort of the nascent culture of people, frankly, uh, you know, ripping off Cubase and stuff like that, and getting wonder- free copies of Cubase and and stuff like that um and i think there's some literature this in the literature in the, like the 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 thing that comes with the cd is like the track now sort of has a has a liner note that goes something like and now do your own thing with this and and it was a, it, you know it's like i think it speaks to the punk nature of the band which was um you know was sort of the sample culture is coming in it comes from like it and they heavily you know in their music on that album and the previous album they heavily um referenced drum and bass stuff and it's sort of them going embracing that diy culture or pushing that diy culture on sort of people and going you can do it yourself it's that punk thing of do it yourself um
0: I don't think I've ever listened to Pitch Shifter. And, and if I get into Pitch Shifter because of some free samples they put on the end of an album, that might be the strangest way I've discovered a band. Obviously, I know the name. The thing I was alluding to earlier is that they, they had a kick sound that everybody ripped off. I can remember Extreme Noise Terror uh, recording locally here. And the, they had this amazing drummer called Zach, who was also in another local band called Failed Humanity. I was sort of kind of in the group of friends I had um, at the time. And he was lamenting the fact he'd record an album and then he'd have to sit there by himself snipping out every single one of his own (laughs) kick drums and pasting in the pitch shifter kick drum. So I wondered if them doing that was was alluding to the fact that they knew that's what everyone was doing. But that's why it's so fucking funny that there is no kick in that little selection of samples. It's just not there. And the other bit's like, God, you'd have to... Be, I know how to do this stuff uh, and you'd have to That'd be really difficult to kick a pick a kick out of those those drum loops but then like the little wing like the random synth things are just uh, I mean could, can you pick them out do you know the album well enough to know if they're actually in the album
1: I don't know um, uh, I don't know but you know certainly you, you take that snippet and you apply that to a MIDI keyboard and you've got a whole synth there wheeing yeah. wheeing. <laughs>
0: That that this is part of the reason I, I want to start this podcast is to just discover new things, and that that's just that's one of the coolest things I've heard that was put on a CD. Just absolutely brilliant, absolutely just. I don't
1: celebrated. think it, I don't think it was even like a, it wasn't hidden, but it was just it worked as like a like a hidden freebie, and it was just you know it was like it's a great album. It's it's called www dot com it's a, it's their best. Yeah, it's really their best. Embracing album. Everything, weren't they? Yeah, they were really on top of the whole sort of digitalization of music, and that album kills as well. Uh, they were really on form on that album. I'm,
0: I'm going to have to give that a listen. Um, we're slightly running out of time, so we're going to have to play the next track. And for this, I apologise. I also am going to say that there, as a trigger warning, if you don't like bodily sounds. Uh, quite grotesque bodily sounds. Honest <clears throat> to God, please, please skip forward thirty seconds because you're you're not going to like this. I mean, I'm I'm saying I'm genuine. I'm genuine with this. I'm I'm saying this as a genuine warning because this is is a uh, pretty vile. So I'm going to count down. So anyone who doesn't want to hear it, hopefully by now you've had enough time to get your phone out of your pocket or prepare to skip forward. you going to Sam's pretending to take. I- I'm not doing this to overhype it. Because I, I, I know this this might trigger some people. Um, well, I played it to my wife while she was having dinner, and, and yeah, that was that didn't go down well. <laughs> right, so I'm going to play it in five, four, three, two,
1: one. <laughs> Thanks for that with us. I love a piss. When is Nick want to give us an order? What? No, it's fucking recording. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Adam.
0: Now. <laughs> Anyone who thinks that it was the piss, it's not the piss. So I'm going to warn you seriously if you want to skip forward, skip forward. Here we go. <laughs> for
1: that with us. Note, note the accents I'll if the you piss. want to try when and kiss the back. going to give us an order, what? No, it's fucking recording. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Come on. That's fucking amazing! Come
0: on! Oh god, that that did that actually made me feel a bit nauseous. A um, guest on Sam Sam's face for people not watching the videos. so Sam was impressed by that either. So that was the secret track. Can you guess the band?
1: Uh, the Beatles.
0: <laughs> yes, the famous Beatles kind of. That was uh, John Lennon uh, doing one of his accents Band from, <laughs> <I>, um, <laughs> from Northern Ireland Band from Northern Ireland I think pre, pre-bit Britpop Therapy Ah, oh, do you know what? <laughs> therapy, I wouldn't have been surprised because I remember and God knows how they, they used to publish this stuff in the NME, I remember there being a tour report from therapy and there were pictures taken on the bus and one of them was, uh, I can't remember which member of therapy, but it was a member of therapy shoving a banana up his ass. If They printed it in the NME. He was like, what? No, that, that was Ash. Oh. And that is, that's the, the uh, unimaginatively titled Sick Party from what the end that? of 1977, for their, their proper first debut. Oh. So that is, what you're hearing there, is some uh, John Leckie Produced vomit sounds.
1: Well, I rem- I was watching a documentary um, that was about Justin Pearson. Pierce, Pearson, uh, anyway, the bassist and uh, one of the main guys behind the, the American art grindcore band, uh, the Locust. And they had this, and uh, they had this moment where they they focused on Gabe's uh, Siberian Serbian. Can't remember his last name, but the drummer, who was sadly, who was an amazing drummer, who has sort of gone now, um, and um, he used to play. He, he, I mean, they were not healthy people. He used to play and throw up, and they had this interview with him I've, I've seen where a bunch he was of saying, times. "Yeah, he was they had an interview with him saying it got to the point where he could. He, when he first started doing it." he'd throw up over the drum kit and it just splatter everywhere. And it got to a point where he could throw up into a bucket and not leave a, and not uh, miss the beat. <sighs> it's, it, it's, it's so wild. That, so anyone uh, who
0: skipped forward there, yeah, it's the sound of, um, I don't know which one of Ash um, emptying their stomach. Um, I've seen drummers pass out in the middle of playing. Um, it was Zach, the guy I mentioned earlier. He, he was playing at i got a long, long since gone amazing venue called Harlo, the Harlow Square. And he, we thought everyone, just the crowd, we all just thought he was fixing his bass drum until like after two or three minutes, he he was still slumped. over. <laughs> so <laughs> he was all right, which is why it's okay to laugh. Um, the other time I missed it, but there, there's, it was legendary in Ipswich. There was a really scuzzy venue called the premier pool club, which still exists. That's why I saw gay rear a few months ago. And there was a, there was a band, the, they had this amazing guy who used to sing and play bass called Leon, Leon Smith. His brother was in Junk Culture with me for a while, and his brother did our wedding photos. Too much detail. But he um, was singing and la la la, la 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 turned his head, threw up, just carried on. And I mean, it doesn't sound like much, but people still talk about it now. But his band called Without Reason, I can't believe I, mentioned, I just remembered their name, they were also notable for having in the band... Um, somebody who everyone called Naked Backflip Lewis because um, <laughs> he used to, uh, gigs and he did it more than once everyone calls him Beardy now and he's actually a brilliant musician, but he did it more than once he'd, he'd disappear off somewhere and he'd walk back into a packed gig, completely stark, bollock naked, do a backflip and then walk out again and then just casually reappear fully dressed again <laughs> uh, anyway, there's, there's an insight into the uh, early 2000s Ipswich music scene right, um we're gonna play your last selection now, because uh, we are running out of time.
1: And for a for your girl found dead in a tombstone,
0: shot by her mother, her the sound of through Today it's just another day, and me and my friends are just going into the drums stand the I am so pleased you you asked me to find that I've never heard that before that or was it on so? a
1: seven that was on a well, i have i have on a seven inch it's on it is literally a unnamed track on the end of the seven inch and um i think it captures against me uh at least laura Jane grace at a particular point in her songwriting which is way before uh she sort of it's like there's something very young about it i wouldn't say naive but it, it's like it's really not a considered songcraft, but it still shows an incredible talent for it because yeah, I, I think, think it, right. it, it it's uh it's a great track and it's got these sort of hooks in it that she never repeats but your mind goes back to um uh and lines like uh it's a four-year-old girl found lying in a dumpster uh, it's an imagery that is sort of pretty incredible and what's but the point i'm trying to make is that the first against me output it's like she never actually sat down and considered what a song looks like mm-hmm. and it's only in the last it's only since they signed the fat Wreck where they actually start thinking thinking about that stuff um and um but there's sort of this amazing sort of uh, energy behind that original "Against Me!" output. Um, I, yeah, absolutely. Really, that was that was my favourite track on that seven-inch. I would listen was to. it. The, was it the listen.
0: acoustic EP? Oh, maybe. Oh, that's uh, running short on time, and we've actually got some some correspondence to cover at the end of this. Oh. Oh, right so fine. so your your choice there wasn't really a hidden cd track it was just a sort of super obscure track how would you describe No that?
1: it was a it was a hidden it was a hidden track it was an unnamed track on um a early 7 inch it's not it's literally not on the listing Cool that so counts as a secret a track
0: hidden. well well done for finding a secret track on vinyl I, I didn't think that would be possible Now my oh, last I track name is <laughs> um my last track was on an album I can't remember if it's named or not but I'm partly giving it to you, the the um, the, the listener, uh, by which I mean possibly me. either you or me. <laughs> I'm giving it to you by way of apology for Ash, Sick Party. I wanted to find a song that's completely atypical or untypical for the rest of the band's output is really unusual and, above all, is pleasant, just to, to sort of re- recalibrate recalibrate things and i'm going to play you this
1: one two three if you close the door the night
0: could last forever leave the sun
1: shine out and say hello to never all the people are dancing and they're having such fun i wish it could happen to me
0: but if you close the door i never have to see oh, it pains <laughs> me that that stops. Oh, that, that almost physically hurt me more than listening to Ash throwing up. Um, do you know who that was? Uh, not a clue. Oh, wow, really? I thought you'd, I thought you'd know this. It's uh, Velvet Underground. It's, no, no, um, not at all. I'm, 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 I know a very
1: little Velvet Underground, actually.
0: Ooh, you have a, a voyage of discovery ahead of you, as, as I do with Primus. Um, I won't say which one might be the better. But, yeah, so that that's a, a song called... <laughs> it's a song called After Hours, <laughs> um, and it's it's on the very end of, a, of the uh, first Velvet Underground album. And it's sung by Mo Tucker, the drummer. And oh. Lou Reed said that he wrote the song, but he said it was just too beautiful to be sung by him, because his voice is... <laughs> is a character voice i think you could say rather than a, a, a pure voice and there's such a, an innocence and a vulnerability to Mo Tucker's voice she, it really wavers around it it really sounds like she didn't want to do it you know, it really sounds like god if i if i really must and it's it's slightly apologetic but there's some other really odd things about that song the bass fucks up did you hear is i think at least a couple of times the bass sort of plays half the wrong note then stops and it's it i chose it also because although it's not a secret track it has a lot of the hallmarks of of other secret tracks that we've gone through Mm. today it's kind of thrown together it's kind of an afterthought but it is just probably one of my all-time favorite songs it it just Mm. it goes on and on it's just lovely right so that that's the end of the listening to music segment we're now we're going to do correspondence and you know that phrase be careful what you wish for um, we've got a little bit of that going on. Has anybody contacted you with questions or, or comments, Sam? Okay. Well, the one I'm going to choose is from Jason Mills. Now, Jason Mills, uh, I know him as Jay Volunteer. He was in a band called the Volunteers for like a hardcore band, uh, probably early 2000s, a bit longer. And he currently does power electronics, which is a, a branch of noise as Italian books. Now his questions are a bit Ipswich centric. I'm going to say, but we're going to we're going to have a go at them anyway. First of all, he says, should Brighton the Corners have a name change because it's not in Brighton? Should it be Ippo the Corners? So this is in reference to a festival that happens once a year here in Ipswich called Brighton the Corners. as it make them less dark? Um, I don't really have an answer for that. Do you? Uh...
1: No idea. No.
0: <laughs> right. Uh, the next one is the best second-hand music shop of all time in Ipswich. There's only ever been, well, there was. There's only ever really been um, one called Out of Time, which is still going strong. I bought records there when I was a kid. It's run by a brilliant guy uh, called Chris.
1: Uh, the only second, the only dead the, the only Kennedys I own is uh, on vinyl. Um, I should hasten to add the only thing, Kennedy Kennedy's I own was uh, bought in a second-hand record shop in Ipswich. With you,
0: it must have been um, it must have been out of time. The other one was called well, we called it the Record and Bo Exchange. It was the <laughs> Record and Tape Exchange, which was was just an odd little place. Anyone in Ipswich listening to this would probably quite fond fond memories, as have I. But out of time, it still is brilliant. And the, Chris, oh yeah, I'm, I'm not going to start going on about that I don't want this to, this podcast isn't about Ipswich at all but this guy, uh, Jay, who's who's contacted us is embarrassing Edmund so it's just down the road but his next question you might be able to pitch in on, uh, who would win in a fight between Extreme Noise Terror and Cradle of Filth
1: Oh, depends which era of each band, surely because you That's don't a want a to Arco and he was drummer He's a, he's a man mountain. <laughs> well,
0: Dean... Oh God, I can't believe I'm saying these things about people who I actually see like at the pub and stuff. Dean and Danny, they, they, they wouldn't entertain the thought of getting in a fight. Dean might. Old Dean, many years ago, may well do that. But Danny, I he's just not that sort of person. Not from what I can tell. I don't know him terribly well. But if you put them both on a football pitch... I think ENT. No, it's got to be Cradle of Filth. I just know so t- t- many chaotic tales about members of ENT that I can't can't see they'd win. I did once put on a, an inter-band football tournament in Ipswich. Not
1: and, knowing, um, not it's good. Not not knowing, uh, not knowing um, the band members intimately, I would extreme because just. You know, the extreme noise terror music music is is harder than Cradle of Filth stuff. Um, Cradle of Filth is is much prettier than extreme noise terror, which is where it should be considering the name of the band.
0: It's just E N T are from squats and the punk DIY scene. They are yeah, they came from well, came from I don't know. I can't really comment further because I do know these people. Um, Cradle of Filth, I think Danny's their Danny and Cradle of Filth, their career's just a lot more considered and a lot more thought was was put into the, the creation of, of the the shtick, you know, the, the kind of thing they do. I'm gonna wonder. I'm getting away from this, right. Next question how can I get hold of a Beat Motel sticker? Well, wow, what a happy coincidence. Just email beatmotel at lawsy dot com and we'll send you one for free. We'll even pay the postage unless you live in like I don't know, Peru. Helsinki. Or I'll send you some in Helsinki, Sam. Helsinki. <laughs> I'll send them, send them by uh, land, so it might be a few months. <laughs> it take about
1: three months.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, yep. So that's how you get stickers, and the stickers are cool. Right, next question. Again, this this does require some local knowledge. I am going to have to explain. Could could you do a Barry St. Edmunds episode called Sugar Beet Motel? Right. The reason for. Sugar, some, or, but, very sugar body. It's where British Sugar is, Barry St. Edmunds. As you drive up to the. It's a city. I think it might be a town with a cathedral. I don't think it's a city. But as you drive up, you see the Sugar Beet Factory. It's it's huge. It absolutely dominates the, the entire town to the extent that the colloquial name for for Bury St. Edmonds is Sugar Town, which uh, led to a brilliant series of compilation albums from Barry St. Edmunds bands called Sugar Town Nights. But. There was a period in the late 90s, early 2000s where Barry St Edmunds band, it's quite a small town, Bury St Edmunds band started to become look like they were going to become like the next Manchester or something, the next big scene. Uh, Vice wrote a massive article about it uh, fairly recently because you had a band called Miss Black America who were on the verge of being absolutely huge. Um, and there's a, just a bunch of other bands that, that looked like they were going to break through, but... That's that. Let's move away from Barry St. Edmunds. we <laughs> oh the next questions. Even more, Ipswich. Right, there's a band in Ipswich called Earth Motherfucker. And they'd have a brilliant song called I Fuck, Therefore I Am. Genuinely is a brilliant song. Absolutely fantastic. But locally, everyone just calls them EMF. So Jay has asked, who would win in a fight between EMF from Ipswich or EMF from the 90s? I'm going to say, EMF from Ipswich, absolutely. Without a shadow of a doubt.
1: It depends on the girth. <laughs> girth?
0: I'm oh, just going to leave that comment there because we're running over time. Um, and his final one is, can everyone just stop picking on Ed Sheeran? I'm not sure anyone
1: does pick on him, but yeah, there we I go. Think, I think... Right. You know, it's it's an interesting. I hope he doesn't read his own press, good or bad.
0: Really, i i tend to I tend to defend him for several very good reasons, which I'm, I'm not going to go into right now. But he is a good sort, from what I know. And I think a certain a certain proportion of complaining about people who become popular is just jealousy. And it just becomes a simple thing to do. But I mean, fuck's sake I don't, a man we- I don't
1: understand why people take against him. Because, I mean, particularly for people who don't like his style of music anyway. Why do you care?
0: Yeah, don't listen to it. Leave it. He writes good songs. There's a song called... Uh, God, I can't believe I'm going to say this. There's a song called uh, The Castle on the Hill. And if I need a cry, I watch the video for that. Because it's just... It demolishes me. He's going through the details of his teenage years in Framlingham, where he grew up, where I, where I, well, roughly where I grew up. And it's just so spot on for the teenage experience. It it always makes me cry. (sighs) That being said, I, I didn't go and see him when he played in Ipswich, even though he played about 100 yards away from where I'm sat right now. So I'm not exactly a mega fan, but I won't, I won't, I don't like it when people, it's not my job to defend him, but I don't like it when people moan about him just just, as you say just don't fucking listen it's not like he's as bad as Primus or anything (laughs) right (laughs) on that note um let's let's uh i need to press stop because we've we've run over time and i've got some swear words to
1: edit out the next episode will be andrew about andrew's favorite primus tracks
0: well i have got on the episode list i've written make me like in capitals and then in brackets in very small letters primus (laughs) i quite i quite i quite like the idea of an episode where we try and convince each other to like stuff that we know each other don't don't like okay you you said you quite liked stone roses honky-tonk today
1: well yeah but nothing else i've heard them do (laughs) they should yeah
0: they should where's the honky-tonk album that's what we want Right, then we're going to have to go. So I'm going to say goodbye, Sam. Do you want to say goodbye?
1: Goodbye, Andrew.